Okay, well, if you can um, settle back down and um, just look this way. Um, my name is Mornay, and um, I have the privilege of being one of the leaders here at God First. And, um, and I also have the privilege, really, of just introducing Duncan very briefly before we, he gets up and takes our first session this morning. Um, I arrived here in 2011, uh, 2011, 2012, I came down here to take a, a staff position at God First. And, um, you know, one of the amazing things is that I've learned from Duncan, which is, and this is why we're doing this conference, is that this guy, man, he would give his life for you and I to really get a deeper understanding and revelation of who the Father is and really a revelation of who the church is more and more. And that is his heart. That is why we're even having this conference today. If you cut Duncan through the middle, which will be a bit weird, that's what he will carry. It's a deep, deep desire for each one of us to have a revelation of who God is and who we are as a people. And, and I can say since I've um, been here at God First and being influenced under his leadership, I've kind of, I'm walking taller. You know, I am, isn't it right, Gordon? I'm walking taller. I'm thinking bigger. And that is what I think Duncan wants today for all, one, all of us as we're in this conference is to walk taller and to think bigger again about who God is and who we are. Amen. And so at God First, what we do is we, um, we like to honor people. We have this thing, you could say, you know, honor before honors, right? Which means that we're going to honor Duncan irrespective of how well he's going to speak later on or whether we think he's an incredible communicator or anything like that. We're going to honor him just because of who he is as a man of God. Amen? So let's just welcome him up here this morning. Let's stand and give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you you very much. What fun. What fun. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm excited. Someone uh, someone said he's a member of God First. It feels like Christmas morning. That's how it feels to me uh, when we have a moment like this. And um, I'm all about risk and just seeing what what God wants to do in certain moments. So I was out praying yesterday. I wondered if the day of the 8th of September 1952 means anything to anyone. And I felt it might, I don't know how these things work, because I don't, don't do the maths, relating somehow to a driving test or to do with cars or keys. Does that, is that anyone? So if it is, sometimes God's just got good gifts to give to you and he wants to, so 8th of September 1952, if it's not, I'm chilled. Don't have to make it up. <laughs> Sometimes you get that. Well, I, I did uh, remember this. One, but no? That's fine. Has anyone else got, this is going to be weird, a missing patella? Do you know what a patella is? A kneecap? Do you know else, has anyone got a missing one? Or, or, what, or, or something to do with their patella stroke right kneecap? Yeah, so keep your hands up because we're going to be the priesthood of all believers uh, in a moment. Uh, and so... If there's a hand up, anyone else got knee issues? God wants to heal knee, knees. I don't know why it works like this, it just does. Uh, yeah, they're not words of knowledge particularly. They're like, put many people in a room and there'll be knee problems, uh, and so include my own. So just, just move around. Remember, we are the priests of the believers. It's not the man or woman at the front. It's the church on mission. So just lay a hand on them. Uh, and just, 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 we're going to pray in just a moment. Just lay a hand on them. Lord, we just command knees right now to be healed in this place. 
We say, Lord, let knees be uh, restored in Jesus' name. Uh, We say, Lord, that uh, creaky joints and painful joints would be healed in Jesus' name. I feel like the Lord also wants to heal heart issues uh, in this place. Weirdly, and I realize it was prophetic, I've read two books on heart surgery, and I've watched one open heart surgery, uh, and I felt the Lord say it's because I'm wanting to do some stuff in the spiritual and in the physical with heart conditions. And so if you've got some sort of heart condition, a mitral valve problem, put your hand up. The Lord wants to heal that. That. Someone's got, yep, uh, put, Lord wants to heal that. So when his hands going up, please don't be passive, lay hands on, uh, and we command sickness to be healed. Others, the Lord right now is restoring hearts. I believe some have had, bl- there's like uh, coronary heart blocking in the spirit that's come from, uh, from background that's, that's kind of blocked it. Uh, a bit of the stuff we heard from Tracy earlier, uh, the stuff that's blocking the coronary heart uh, and blocking the life flow of life to you. If you feel like, feel, feel like in them saying that, the Lord wants to restore emotional feeling right now. The Lord wants to, re- you felt like it's been a, you've, you've been under an oppression where there's not been an ability almost to feel and the Lord wants to unlock the spiritual dynamic of the coronary artery right now. So if that's you, feel free, put a hand up. If you know, yeah, I've I've pushed emotion down, just lay, come on, keep going. I'm not going to keep teaching you this. Lay hands on where this hand's going up. Lord, we say, release people right now in Jesus' name to feel joy and disappointment and to work through that in Jesus' name. We say no longer let emotions just be pushed down and disregarded. Uh, We say in Jesus' name, break through in this. We say let the love of God be ministered in this place. We see like the love of God clearing arteries in this place. Lord, so we say from knee joints to heart surgery to mitral valves uh, to freedom in the physical and the spiritual, we say let it come now in Jesus' name. We say let your kingdom come, Lord. Let the ministry of your powerful Holy Spirit work in this place in Jesus' name. For some, it's fresh courage right now. Receiving fresh courage to bring the life of the kingdom. Receive right now fresh courage in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For some of you, you'll be able to get those things checked out if it's physical. The consultants will tell you. Others of you you'll know as we even go through this time uh, that God is healing you. And we're allowed to do ministry times at the front end and not just at the end, okay? You do know that. There's nothing in the Bible about ministry times after the preaching. And um, test out what we're praying for. Test it out. Feel free to move. I'm not going to be worried if you're getting up and checking your knees up. Remember, my my brother got healed in a meeting. uh, And he went off and he ran up and down the stairs in the venue and realized that his sciatic nerve was healed. So, uh, pain. So, that's great. So, check it out. Um, I should probably preach. Where should we preach from? Matthew, Mark, Luke, that's it. Um, So we're going to go to Luke. And um, those of you who don't know me, I'm married. I actually lied to my church recently, and it took till from the Sunday to the Wednesday for Joe to correct me. I stood up in front of my church and said, me and Joe, we've been married 25 years. And it got to Wednesday, and Joe said, you do realize it's 24 years. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly awkward. So I feel that's my confessional, by the way. We've got three kids. We've got a 19-year-old, an 18-year-old, uh, two daughters, and a son who's 14. So uh, we, we feel like we're getting to a different stage in our lives as well. We also have two cats. One loves everyone, and the other cat hates everything and everyone. Uh, and so it's kind of a, it's a reciprocal relationship between me and my cats. Uh, we've got that relationship. They understand uh, where they stand. But I, 1987, when I was 13, God brought me home. And... <laughs> For me, as a 13-year-old, I, I had no 
interest in the gospel, no understanding of church, no understanding of religion or relationship with God. And what happened was my mum, who worked as a TA in a school, uh, happened to be, happened to be uh, working alongside uh, a Christian called Mike Ramsey. And he got, the, he got the courage one day to speak to my mum and say, we think you need to hear about Jesus, and invited her to meet with him and his wife uh, and uh, she went round their house. Now, that was remarkable because my mother was pretty, had kind of been involved in, uh, in the Anglican church. In fact, my mum is here on the front row, mum. There you go. So um, she's leading the ministry time. Uh, so she, she goes to, to meet with Mike, and, uh, Mike Ramsey uh, and Mary Ramsey, and they share the gospel, and she gets radically saved. Uh, and and what is bizarre is she's so radically changed, it's transformational, and God begins to save my family one by one, not time to share the whole story. But I remember that I realized there was such a transformation for my, fam- for, for my family that I've got to come to Jesus. I remember turning up at a meeting, a New Frontiers church, that was a church I was born again into, and them saying, welcoming the Holy Spirit, and looking around the room wondering where he was. Uh, That was how uh, unaware of Christian things that I was, and of God I was. And what happened when I gave my life, I went to being a, a sinner to a saint. I went from being from dead to alive. I went to being from guilty to justified. I went from being guilty to righteous. I went from being shame-ridden to being accepted son. I went from being hell-bound to heaven-bound. And I went from being a spiritual orphan to being a child of God. Now, the truth is I didn't know all that, but that is what had happened in a moment. That is what had happened. And I wasn't looking for God. He came looking for me. I didn't deserve it. He came looking for me. And I want us to understand this, that, that your salvation is a homecoming. It's a, it's a coming home moment, which is why we've got a door on here. And the, at the end, we're going to respond by walking through this door. However, that's going to happen in here, but we'll work it out. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And um, Your salvation is a miracle work of God. You have come home to the Father. Ephesians 1 says this, verses 4 to 5, probably come up on the screen. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Listen to this. In him he predestined us to be adopted as sons. Everyone say adopted as sons. Adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. There are no accidents in this room. So important you hear this. God was seriously intentional about bringing you home. Someone put it like this. While it can be said that there are many unplanned pregnancies, there are no unplanned adoptions in the father's family. That should be enough. That should be be enough for your conference ticket to go home uh, on that. that. That should be it. Chosen by God, holy and blameless, before the creation of the world. What were the Trinity talking about before creation? You. That was good, wasn't it? (laughs) Adopted as his kids. You're his masterpiece. His poem. The Bible says he is spinning with delight, with violent delight over you. Augustine said this. He said, if the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence, it would cry out like the resounding waves of the sea, the Father loves you. And so that there is no father's dial for his love that he's turning up over your Christian life. It's on and it's on full. 
It's kind of, the Father doesn't turn his love down, it's on and it's on full. And so today I want to preach from Luke 15, and and if I'm really honest, I wrestled with what I was going to speak on, and then I landed with Luke 15, and and again, if I'm really honest, I think, ah, please Lord, does it have to be that passage, because it just feels very familiar, Uh, it feels like we've all heard it and uh, and kind of know it and could recite it, and I just felt the Lord wanted us to land here, because I want him, I want us to be set up for the rest of this conference. And that's really what my job is for us this morning. And so the prodigal son, really, again, Tim Keller's good on this. Uh, He says that prodigal, really, he says it's probably better to be called the prodigal God because prodigal means extravagant. It means reckless. It means uncontrolled. Uh, And the father runs to the son. We know the story, extravagant, costly, reinstatement and unrestrained blessing. And it's about sons and daughters coming home. So here's the context in Luke 15. If you've, it will come up on the screen, but it's good to have a Bible or, or an iPad that you can switch on or whatever. Uh, but here's the context. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so the context is that you've got, you've got the rebellious and the religious in an environment together. So really the extremes of society... And then Jesus tells a story that holds a universal truth. Just to make me sound clever, I could put it like this. It's like Jesus brings a meta-narrative of the Bible that that kind of spans the breadth of the the selfish and the unruly and the self-righteous. It's like there's this meta-narrative over the whole thing. And the truth is this, that humanity is being called home to their father. That's the grand narrative of the Bible. The father's heart is for his children to come home. That's why when the father sees his son from a long distance in verse 20, he runs to him. And so the Bible from from Genesis to Revelation is a story of people who are exiled, separated, homeless from God, who are coming home to their father. And so let's, let's read this together, Luke 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, which is basically saying, please, can you die so I can have the money? So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Lord, I pray that you would cause these, this truth of this story to settle in our hearts and set us free. In Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Homecoming. And we know, we don't have to labour this, but Adam and Eve chose to do their things, do things their own way. And the result is that this intimate relationship, can you imagine it, that they walked in the cool of the day with the Father, with God, and then they are banished from Eden. There's this homeless, exiled theme right from that moment. Homelessness is then repeated again and again and again through the Bible. Adam and Eve's son, Cain, is forced to wander the earth because he murdered his brother. Jacob cheats his dad and has to run away. Joseph is exiled uh, because of jealousy. Jacob's whole family end up displaced by famine, ending up living in Egypt. Then the Israelites are enslaved by Pharaoh until Moses leads them out into the great exodus, but they wander the desert for 40 years, homeless again, exiled, homeless, before entering the promised land. Hundreds of years later, David, the king, is anointed, and years it takes years for him to, be, to take the throne, but then he's, he's chased around by Saul and and wandering and homeless. And the whole, Israel, whole of Israel was then exiled and taken, to captive, taken captive to Babylon. There's national homelessness. And that, that really unpicks the human condition. Ever since Eden, people have been living away from their true father. They've been exiled. That's why people universally, and we know this, talk about things like, if only I had that missing ingredient in my life, and maybe it's money, or maybe it's fame, or maybe it's a relationship, or an experience, it will fill that hole, that void, uh, and I will come home. That's really what they're looking for. They're looking to come home, but looking in all the wrong places. And so we live in a nation where there's a pandemic. We talk about the coronavirus. We're talking about a pandemic of fatherlessness and homelessness in our nation. And so stats tell us that we, uh, we, we have a father desert, that there's 62% of homes in Camden have no father at home. Think about that. More teenagers own a smartphone than have a father at home. 80% of inmates have no father figure at home. Economic costs of family breakdown in this nation in 2016 was 48 billion. That's 1,820 for e pound for every taxpayer. Some say that's an understatement. Suicide is now the biggest killer of men under 50. 
And then as you look at it, you think, I kind of know that's true because I talk to people and I hear that. And then there's moments where someone comes to the top, often a celebrity, and kind of somehow in some dramatic way make this homelessness thing stand out. And so many of you, all of you, I'm sure, probably have seen the film Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, and me and Joe went to the cinema, we watched that and came out. And we had pizza afterwards, which I'm glad we did. But, but we were nearly in tears, weren't we? As, we, as we watched it, because as we watched his life unfold, we saw this incredible gift, this, this, this creative miracle in that sense, who he was and his performance and all of that, but the brokenness of homelessness that was in his heart. And he was interviewed shortly before his death, and some of you may have heard this quote, and he, he said this, you can have everything in the world, says Freddie Mercury, and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization, millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Homeless. That's exile. That's the human condition. That's the spiritual reality within us. And, and if we don't get a revelation of that and understand your homecoming when you came home as a Christian and understand how homeless and exiled people have, we can't carry the Father's love to the world because we, we underplay the dynamic of what has happened in our own lives. Do you understand that? And so the gospel and the change it's been. And so Jesus came to bring you home to the Father. In my Father's house are many rooms. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wonderful verse. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I don't think that verse is just for funerals. I heard Jack Frost speaking recently, and he said, it's like Jesus is going away, and, and in, the father, in the Father's house, he would articulate it, in the Father's heart, there is a place for you. You think about that. So before, before my children were born, whilst, whilst, whilst Joe's pregnant, and you're watching the pregnancy progress and go, and it's kind of pretty obvious, and what, but, but from that moment you learn, we're expecting, there's a place in the Father's heart for that child. And then they arrive, and you, I, remember, I remember walking on to the, the, the maternity wards, and there were babies everywhere, but I tell you, I didn't even understand that. All I said was, hey, we've arrived, this baby's arrived, because in my heart, in my father's heart, it was like, this is it now, everyone stop. Everyone else's babies are great, this one really is. <laughs> Honestly, we'd look at the, the covers of you know, nappies and babies, and I'd say, why, why are they using that baby when they could use this one? <laughs> Honestly, it's true. I can't help it. It's a, it's a father's filter. It's kind of, that's how I saw them. And, and yet it was before they were born that that place in the father's heart existed. And I think this is what Jesus is saying. So I'm, I'm preparing a place in the father's heart. It, it's, it's, you can experience it now. You can step into that because Jesus has made a way that you can come home. Amen? That Jesus has made a way. He took, your, took the curse, took your sin, took your alienation, took all the things that separated you from the Father. He took them on himself. And he says, now I'm the way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what Luke 15 is all about. Jesus is, is bringing this meta-narrative to the, to the selfish and the self-righteous. And he's saying, there's a story that covers all of your experiences. And it's this, you're away from home and I'm bringing you home. You were exiled, but I'm bringing you home. And then secondly, I want to say this, coming home to a good father. 
Homecoming is not just about getting saved. I'd imagine that's why many of us are here today. Some of you think, why am I here? What did I sign up to uh, and beginning to warm up? But I would say this, it's an event that, it's not just an event that happens in the past. Homecoming is about living in the Father's house every day. It's a relationship with the Father that keeps going deeper. And so, so often we can think that we're home with the Father and living in a place of home, uh, in his home, when actually we're keeping ourselves distant from him. And so the older brother's situation is fascinating. Not time to really do justice to this, but, but verse 25 says, when he came near the house. So the older, the older brother, the, son, the older son is, is there near the house. He's, he's near and he begins to hear there's some sort of party going on. And then he becomes angry and it says in verse 28, I'm not going to go in. He refused to go in. And he refused to go in because he said, I've been slaving all these years and, you, and never disobeyed you and you've never given me even a young goat. And there are moments as, as children of God where we're saved and in the family where, where we can look around and see others and compare and think about what they've got and, 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 and look at, look, well, I'm performing like this and they've done that and they get all of this. And we can begin to become quite angry. In fact, I would say this older brother is living from a place of conditional love and performance. He's not really home. Not really. You've not really come home. And I'm not talking about your salvation here or his salvation. I'm, t- I'm talking about he's not really living in the good of understanding who the father is and how the father works. Because in the father's family, things work from position, not performance. You understand that? They, they work from being called who you are before you act like who you are. That's the gospel. It's like my story as a 13-year-old. It's taken a long while and continues to take a long while for God to transform me. And if we serve from performance, it stops intimacy. It stops us coming home. So we, we, we begin to just... And your, your context will be different. Your identity might be in your position at work, might be your position as a mother or father. It could be all sorts of things. But, but God says, no, it's about your position in my family. And the truth is, we're to serve from approval, not for approval. And the key is, it's, it starts with how do you see the father? Is he a good father or the godfather? Is he the good father or is he the godfather? And we've all seen probably some of the movies. I don't think I've ever seen a Godfather movie, but I don't think it's good if Godfather turns up. Uh, and uh, how do you see God? Is he a good father or the Godfather? And so many of us are wearing filters that a bit like this, this older brother where we say, well, I've performed, so surely that gets me the ticket because this father, if I do it all and I add it all up, then I get, I get what comes out. It's a slot machine, isn't it? I put the coin in, pull the lever, and out comes the stuff. He hadn't understood who the father was. He hadn't understood his position as a son. And it's not a new thing. Even Martin Luther said this. He said, I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer because when I do, I think, my, I think of my own father who was hard, unyielding, and relentless. I cannot help but think of God that, that way. Martin Luther. Or Paul, William Paul Young, who you'll know, who wrote The Shack. Uh, okay? uh, and uh, he wrote this. So many of us have been hurt either by the abusive presence of a father or simply by the absence of a father. And so many of us have, listen to this, painted the face of God with the face of our father. And we can see our father through the filter, see our heavenly father through the filter of our earthly father. And it's, the result is so many of us don't then really come home. 
Instead of seeing Abba Father, we see the Godfather. Billy Graham's daughter, you might have heard this story, but uh, she, Ruth Graham, she, she was the, the daughter of, Billy, of the evangelist Billy Graham, famous Billy Graham, now passed away. And she decided to return home to her father after, uh, and, and put her life right. And she carried pain and shame. You can imagine, famous father, Billy Graham, I'm the daughter of Ruth Graham, and I'm, uh, how, do I, how do I handle that? And so she'd had broken marriages and failed relationships, made mistakes, messed up badly, and a life that caused pain for her children and loved ones. She says this, the shame was almost unbearable. I feared I had humiliated those I held dearest. She wondered how her famous father would respond to this prodigal daughter, her coming home. What would they say to me, she says. What would they say? You've made your bed, now lie in it. Would they condemn me? Would they reject me, despise me? She tells of how she embarks on the 16-hour car journey to North Carolina to go back to her parents' home. And prior to driving that journey, she makes a phone call to her mother, and her mother simply says this. She just says to her, come home. So she approached her house, the house, the fears multiplied, mind-spinning, adrenaline-pumping, and she sees her dad, Billy Graham, standing there waiting for her to pull into the drive. As she stopped the car, she she readies herself. You know that kind of sense of, here we go, the adrenaline's rushing, takes a deep breath, and in her words, she says, this happened. Then I looked up. Daddy was already at my side. Before I could say a word, he took me into his arms and said, Welcome home. That's the embrace of unconditional love. That's homecoming. And so Jesus is telling this story because he wants people to get a radical understanding of what the Father's like. Ruth Graham had this filter. that the, will, What will he be like? Will he do this? Will he, will he tell me I've done this and correct me and whatever? And Jesus is telling this story because he, he's saying, look, that it's not like it was anymore. We're, we're entering a new age. We're entering a new covenant. And so in the Old Testament, really, God is only referred to as Father 14 times and always in a national sense. Jesus calls God Father 60 times and it becomes very close and personal. And we've got to understand Jesus is opening a door to a paradigm shift in that moment. There's, there's something radically happening as Jewish listeners and Israelites are listening and, and, and Hebrew thinking and thinking, what, what is this? This Jesus is talking about knowing a father. And so Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Three times in that one moment of teaching about prayer, the father is mentioned. And in this story, Jesus is saying, look, you're coming home to the father. He's involved. He's, he's deliberately ripping down filters about who the Father is and who he isn't. That this Father is a prodigal God. He's extravagant towards you. Does anyone believe that in this place? Yeah? Talk to me. Be more Pentecostal. That will help me. <laughs> he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Wow. Amazing. Do you see the Father clearly this morning? A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who you may have heard of, famous preacher, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives, 
I would say that it is our failure to know God as our Father as we should know him. Got to wage war on these filters. Got to wage war on these lies that are dominating our consciousness. And so I just thought I'd just put some up on a grid. Here's a lie that we can believe. And this younger son was believing. God's love is conditional. The better I do, the more I'll be loved. That's the elder son and the younger son's filter, actually. If I go back and say this, maybe the father will do this. The older son, well, I've done all this and I still don't get this. The truth is God's love is unconditional based on position, not performance. While he was still a long way off, the father runs to him. There's the lie that God is passive and uninterested. Many of us, our own experience maybe with our father was that, that he was distant and uninterested. The truth is God is proactive. He runs to the son. That, that he, he, he organizes a party. What dads do that? I mean, I brought three children up, but I've got to say, Joe did most of the organizing of the parties, uh, thankfully, especially when they were younger. Some of them were chaos. But this, this father, this father organizes the party. Let's celebrate. Let's kill the fat and calf. It's my son's home. Let's, let's, let's feast. He's not uninterested or passive. He's proactive. What about the lie that God is absent and aloof? You know, God is warm, affectionate, and feels. I'll unpack about that in a, in a little bit. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. That word compassion is not like, oh, I found it a bit warm on the inside and thought we'd just, just try and change it up a little bit. This, this, in their thinking, would have been to be moved to the bowels. Because in Hebrew thinking, it, it's not a heart response. It's, it's to be moved to the very depths of your core with a groaning. It's the same word used. You know when Jesus turns up in Nain with the, vid, with the widow who's lost her son? It's the same word compassion there. It means it, it's, a, it's a deep feeling movement of the bowels that you think, I'm utterly moved for you. Deep feeling. That, that is how God feels towards you. And that's why he threw his arms around the son and kissed him. What about the lie? God is critical and punished, punishes. The truth is, God is scandalously gracious and patient. Scandalously so. It should, it should not be allowed. The grace of God should be banned. It'd be a lot easier to get people to do things by law. Crack a whip. But that's not how it works. God is scandalously gracious, scandalously patient. The father doesn't even talk about the situation with the son in verse 28, 21. The son, he's kind of almost, it almost feels like he's interrupted. He's like, in his spiel, look, dad, I could do this and you make me a hide. And he's like, no, 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 let's throw a party. He's scandalously gracious. What about this lie? God is unforgiving. God is totally forgiving. You know, my story would be, I'm slower to forgive myself than God can forgive me. Wonder how many of you that's your story. God is scandalously gracious and forgiving. As far as the east is from the west, so far you've removed our transgressions from us. What about this? God is stingy. <laughs> no, God is amazingly generous. How many of you felt that? Don't put your hand up, Dad. Just, just be a bit generous. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. It's like, let's get the best grub out, let's get the best stuff out, and let's have it now. God is better than we think, so it's time to change the way we think about him, says Bill Johnson. So he's a good father, not the Godfather. Amen? And then thirdly, as we land this, I want us to come home and wear the ring. 
Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. If we had time, we could unpack each of those. But just to say that the robe is a robe of, that covers the mess. It's the robe that Tracy could talk about and say, now this is my second testimony, I'm this. It's because she's wearing the robe of righteousness. Brilliant testimony wherever you are, Tracy. Such a good job. And it's a wonderful doctrine, justification. That's what the robe represents, just as though I've never sinned. It's a wonderful doctrine. And, and we believe in the finished work of the cross. And, and, and there's this exchange. I think Luther talked about the great exchange that my sin for his perfection, my failure for his perfection, <laughs> my mess for his perfection, my credit card of debt over to Jesus, and he wipes it clean. That, he rubs it out, not rubs it in. That's what justification is. And, and we believe in that. And, and, and my stench and my sin is covered. And, and there's this legal picture. If I was to turn up at the law court, not only would we walk, not only couldn't, we couldn't even walk in. That's the reality. You'd get to the law court to plead your case, and the court would say, closed. You say, for how, how long? Well, on your case forever. That's kind of how it works. You, you, you've been forgiven. You've been set free. And the father gives total forgiveness. It is, let me put it this way. Dad's not mad with you anymore. Some of you have had that. Even as I said it, you've, you've wondered what it would be like to come home to dad and face his wrath and his anger. And so the truth is that dad's not angry anymore. We've been justified through Christ alone, by faith alone, and are righteous. Amen? That's the robe. But, and I think often we know, we, we know that truth. But here's the ring. And I think we see that the son receives a ring here, and this is where there's an injection of heart. This ring of adoption could be phrased like this, dad opted for me. Justification, just as if I've never sinned. The ring of adoption, dad opted for me. Not only do we receive the gift of total forgiveness from the father, but we also receive the gift of adoption. Sons and daughters, children of God, Princes and princesses, new identity, new, author, new authority. I phrase it like this, heavenly fridge rights. So my kids come home from school and they don't ask anything. They're straight in the fridge, they take what they want, they have what they want, they take it. It's like, fair enough, fair deals. If the Tesco man did that, we've got a problem. But the kids have got heavenly fridge rights in that sense, and we have. And so there's this robe of of pardon, of justification, this illegal fact about pardon. But there's this ring of adoption. This is a truth about new position. And so Tim Keller says this, I think, brilliantly. He says, Jesus secures a legal verdict, not guilty for us, so we are no longer liable for our wrongdoings. However, salvation is not only objective and legal, but subjective and spiritual. The, biblical, the Bible insists on using sensory language about salvation. It calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good, not only agree and believe it. I think that's just brilliant because I think in our Western mindset, you think, well, because I, because I can articulate it and understand it, I know it. That's not, that's not the Hebrew way of thinking. It's not the way Jesus taught. He, he said, so as, you, as you understand something, it transforms your life. And so Jonathan Edwards put it like this, you know, the... Uh, the 
that guy lived many hundreds of years ago in the 17th, 18th century. He said this, the difference between believing that God is gracious and tasting that God is gracious is as different as having a rational belief that honey is sweet and having an actual sense of its sweetness. Big difference. And so you did not receive, Paul said, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies, bears witness that our spirit, we, in our spirit we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There is a work of the Spirit that takes that which is understood and drops it uh, into our hearts. There is this reality of that. And so that there, there is a sense of where there's, there's heat. That comes, not only light of revelation. And so the doctrine, the doctrine of adoption has been overlooked over years. Actually, thousands and thousands, thousands of Christian creeds written over the last 1900 years. And Phil Wilfie quoted, he said, only six mention adoption into God's family. There's something that God is restoring to his people that when you get a hold of this truth, this adopted into the family, this, this you're, you're, you are children of God, that the light bulb goes on. In our heads with justification with the robe in our heads. But there's this heat and heart that comes that we come home experientially as well as intellectually. And the Lord wants us to come home experientially. He wants us, I'm not talking about fuzzy feelings. I'm talking about experiencing, feeling the depth of the love of God towards you. It undoes you. Many Christians have faith to believe that they are saved from the wrath of God, but not faith to believe that they are adopted into a loving relationship with God. I think God is calling us home in a new way. It's in the Greco-Roman world when a child was adopted, a wealthy, childless father, a wealthy, a childless man, could decide to adopt one of his servants. And that was a different type of adoption to perhaps what we understand in adoption. But what happened when, when he adopted that child into his family, what happened is that child would gain all the rights as a legitimate child in this new family. He got a new father. And secondly, he was heir to the new father's estate. So he became co-heir with the father. Thirdly, all the debts that he had, this, that this slave had, were cancelled as he comes over to a new family. And in the eyes of the law, fourthly, he's absolutely a son of this new father. That was how adoption was understood. That, that when Paul writes that verse, that is what is in his head, that, that we are adopted as sons. That, that is what is happening in that moment. And so Jesus did not just die so you could be forgiven from sin, but so you could be adopted as sons and daughters and experience a homecoming to the father. You can wear a ring of adoption. In a moment, we're going to get it there because we're going to land in a moment. But you should have received a small little envelope, which I didn't think there was point writing on there, don't open until later, because everyone's going to open. But you, you can open that now. It's a brown envelope, and it's not even a bill. So that's good. There we go. So you should have, it's the most expensive ring we could, could afford, so it's symbolic, okay? Some of you can say, I can't get that on my finger. Well, put it on your little finger or something or whatever. But there, there is this, 
There is this key of access, Jesus. And then there is this ring of adoption. And this ring, as we put it on, I want you to hear that, that you have a new father, Abba Father. That you have a new family. You've got about two billion brothers and sisters on planet earth right now, let alone the population of heaven. You've got a new family. You've, you've got a new fortune. All your debts are cancelled. And you have a father who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You've got new freedom. The chains of the past are gone. And there's a new future. There's eternal life. So behind the legality of justification is the joy of adoption. The ultimate work of the cross, not just the forgiveness of sins and removal of wrath, but to adopt you into the father's family, the joy of having you home. And so I, I believe for the church, it's time, it's time to wear the ring of adoption. It's time to have that ring, whether it's probably not going to wear that every day, this particular one. But, but maybe there is for some of us, you need to get a ring and have a symbol on your finger that reminds you that not only are you justified, but that you can come home. And the Father's fatherless church cannot bring freedom to the world. And so let's remember what we've covered. We've, we've looked at this exiled reality for humanity, this this fatherlessness, this homelessness, that the father wants his kids to come home. That we've got to deal with the lies that he's a good father, not the godfather. And begin to see the father afresh. And how extravagant and loving he is towards us. The one who runs towards the son. The one who still welcomes the elder brother in, even though he's being grumpy. The father who reinstates who runs out, gets to this son first and protects him from the village. He would have wanted to kill him. That hitches his kind of cloak up and runs in an undignified way because the son is in his sights. And it's time to wear the ring of adoption to come to this experiential reality, this sensory reality, this, I knew it, but I didn't know it. So I wonder if we could stand together. If I could encourage the band back up. We're going to have a response. We're going to get you guys to move this door somewhere where what I'd like to do, um, looking to people more gifted than me at this stuff, um, looks like there's a bit of room here. So as this door moves, I want you to listen to me. I want you to have the, the ring of adoption in your hands and the key of access and... Should we watch you while you do it or I'll carry on? So I'll just grab your attention this way while they do this. And I'll explain what we're going to do. What we found... Well, we all want to watch that, don't we? So let's, wa let's watch you do that. Well done. Right, probably going to come down this way. Well done. Okay, so eyes this way while they do that. Um, what we're going to do is with the, with the ring of adoption in our hand and the, the key of access, we're going to have holy chaos. We've got our, our crack team, ministry team, ready to, go to create a fire tunnel. Uh, and I would say this, I think this is for everyone. Does anyone feel they know all of the Father's love? No, otherwise I don't know why you're here. You might as well be running this, right? Uh, so we are, we are going to respond with, to a door that says, welcome on the front. 
and we're going to have a ministry team here, and when we're going to sing this song, or this song is going to be sung over us, Run to the Father. And some of you are thinking, what is this about? What are we doing? Why have we got to do that? You haven't got to do anything. But my experience is, when you're hungry, sometimes you just think, do you know what? I'm going to get everything of God I can get. And so what I'd like us to do, as you come home, so, some of you, I feel this, for some of you, it's, I've kind of been home, but not really home. I've kind of, I kind of know I'm justified legally and forensically and law court wise, but, but this ring of adoption I haven't experienced it and haven't felt it. You, you need to come forward. If you just say, I'm, I'm going all guns blazing with God at the moment. I'm on fire. Then you come through and get some more fire. Others of you are really distant from God. And, it's, and for, you, for you in this moment, it's going to be like the prodigal son. Like the prodigal daughter. Like a Ruth Graham like the story in the, in the scriptures that we've read. And we need to understand as you come through that door, you're coming into the Father's house. But these are representing the love of the Father. And they're just going to lay hands and you're going to walk through, depending on different people respond. Just if someone falls over, just step over them. <laughs> I'm the, I never ever seem to be that one. I'm like, someone behind, I'm getting hit and all of that. But... If you're just one of those people who just walk through, do you know what? Believe by faith. There's an impartation. Amen? Amen. Thank you. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to let this song start. And then I just think if you're that end, you're going to have to come around. Just a holy chaos. That's okay. And then we'll have a break. So Lord, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for this robe of righteousness. We thank you for this ring of adoption. We thank you that... That this faith isn't just a legal statement over us and then go and get on, but it's life with the Father, that there is always more to come home to. Uh, Lord, we pray even in this declaration of this moment, Lord, it would de declare over this place, but over the churches and places we represent, that there would be a mass homecoming of many prodigals, there would be a mass homecoming of those who are far away from you, that those who are broken and distant and have no understanding that there's a loving Father with arms open wide waiting to run towards them. Lord, do a, do a turn around, Lord. Something even in the spirit, I pray, would be changed now as we respond, Lord, both for ourselves, but for our communities, I pray in Jesus' name. And so as we put this ring of adoption on our fingers, we say, Lord, let something come into our lives and into our hearts that never, ever changes again, that sticks. So we say, yes, I know that afraid. I know it in a new way, in a deep way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.